All right. We started in Mark 1 and just kind of go over it. We looked at the preaching of John the Baptist, and then we looked at, at Jesus' baptism and how significant the baptism of Jesus was in the first chapter of Mark. And that was John stepping back and Jesus moving forward. And then we went into some acts of Jesus where Jesus preaches in Galilee. The word went forth. And right after the word, the multitudes were being healed. And I said to you last week, every time there's a word being taught or preached, there's always healing that comes after that. And then we went over to chapter two and we saw the paralytic. We saw that this man was not able to get to Jesus because of the numbers that were in the house and the numbers that were around the house. And so he had some really good friends. They climbed up on the roof, brought him with them and tore a hole in the roof and dropped him down in front of Jesus. And there he was healed. Not only was he healed, the first thing God dealt with with this man was his condemnation. He says, your sins are forgiven you. And they were so awestruck that Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven. They said, no one can forgive sins but God. Well, that's the point. <laughs> that was a good point, but they didn't know. And so God was forgiven his sin because Jesus was that for that guy. He was the representation of God. He was God in the flesh to that man. So he knew what was ailing this man more than his paralytic condition is that his sins were weighing heavy on him. He says, your sins are forgiven. But since you guys have questions about it and you're so concerned about it, not only will I forgive his sins, pick up your pallet and walk. <laughs> you see, so now the Son of Man has power to forgive and to heal. And so they were astonished. They got like just lost it in that sense. So, you know, we got to look. This is the same Jesus then that there is now. And I said, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He hasn't changed. So it's important that we grab hold of that. So Jesus began to preach there and he healed this guy. And then he left healing and walked up to Levi. That was the last thing we talked about. Levi was in the tax booth and he was there probably collecting taxes or getting ready to. And Jesus called him from his job. He says, you come follow me. And he took him over to his house. And it was there that Jesus sat with sinners and he sat with tax gatherers. You know, it'd be like you sitting down with the IRS and the mafia. That's what he was doing. <laughs> and the people were like, why, are, why is Jesus uh, and you guys sitting around with these bad people? Because nobody liked the tax gatherers and nobody liked sinners, even though they were sinners themselves, the Pharisees. They were just as much a sinner as anybody else. And they were upset that Jesus was sitting down with them. And I like what Jesus said. You know, people who are healthy already and whole, they don't need a physician. And I think one of the biggest things wrong with the church today is we keep trying to hang around lofty people. We keep trying to hang around people who can have an advantage to us, people who can support our ministries. And I believe that we need to be with the taxi gatherers. We need to be with the sinners. We need to go out in the streets and we need to work with the people that nobody else wants to work with and care about the people that nobody else cares about. Because when God changes the heart of a sinner, he's done something. Amen. He's changed a sinner to a winner. You know what I'm saying? And so when we're talking to stuffy people or religious people who think they know all the time, God gets no glory out of that because they think they know. And the Pharisees was like the rich young ruler. He came to Jesus with the mindset that I already know that I'm a good person, but what can I do to get an eternal life? And Jesus told him, he said, he called Jesus a good master. And Jesus said, why do you call me good? And the reason he said that, because the guy thought he was good. So Jesus said, I'm not good. And there's no one good but God. He was just bringing it down to this man's understanding and let him know that the good that you think you're doing is not the good that God is requiring. Here's the good that God is requiring. Go sell what you have, give to the poor and come follow me. Well, you would think that would be the answer for that guy. But that Bible says that he was sorry. <laughs> I think he was sorry he ever asked Jesus the question, but he was sorrowful. 
<laughs> he was sorrowful because he had, the Bible says, great possessions. Interpreting that, great possessions had him because he could not let go of what he had to go do what Jesus said to do when he'd already came to Jesus with a list of things that he was already doing. What would be one more thing to do? Just sell what you have, get the board and come follow me. You did everything. He said, I kept all the law from my youth. Jesus said, there's something you're lacking though. Yeah. He didn't say what it was. And see, you got to be careful in the church calling out people's sins. Amen. Everybody thinks they can call out somebody's sin. Jesus didn't call this man's sin out. He said, there's something you're lacking. And he exposed it by giving him something to do. Yeah. He said, go sell what you have, give to the poor and come follow me. Well, he had great possessions. He couldn't let go of his wealth. And Jesus turned around to the disciples, and this is when he made this statement, and this statement is really for this situation alone. He said it's harder for a rich man to enter to heaven than a camel to go to the eye of a needle. And he wasn't saying that rich people couldn't go to heaven. He was talking about this circumstance, this situation here, because there were a lot of rich people that loved God. Yeah. In fact, Jesus was put in the grave of a rich man that loved him. Yes. Joseph, he took Jesus' body. He was a rich man and put Jesus in his own tomb. You see, so it wasn't the fact that God was upset with rich people. What God is talking about is rich people who make money their God. Amen. You see, and some of us, we want money so bad because we think it's going to make us somebody. No, you need to make money, not let money make you. It's okay to make money and put it into the kingdom. Amen. To plant seeds and invest into God's vineyard and to help people and give to the poor. The Bible says he that gives to the poor lends to the Lord. And the Bible says he will repay. You see, so whatever you have, he says, we need to help people with it. In Mark chapter two, and I think we stopped at Levi's calling and all of that in the uh, verse 22, when it talks about, I'll just read it. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. Otherwise the wine will burst the skins and the wine is lost in the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh skins. Amen. And then we were moving down to the next one where they speak a little bit about the Sabbath. Look at verse 23 of Mark chapter two. And it came about that he was passing through the grain fields on, listen to this now, the Sabbath. So we know that the Sabbath, and there are many Sabbaths. People think it's just one Sabbath, there are many. There's a sabbatical year, there's Sabbath, formal Sabbath services, all these kinds of things. But this Sabbath that he's talking about is the seventh day Sabbath. It is the most popular and necessary Sabbath. And this is the one that God said in the beginning when he created the earth in six days and God rested on the seventh day. Well, that Sabbath has never been removed. I know a lot of people don't understand that. We're not to give into it as though it's a ritual or something we have to practice like a ritual or a law, but God is saying it is good for you to rest one day a week. Amen. And a Sabbath is on a Saturday. Sabbath is not Sunday. Sunday is the first day a week. Sabbath is Saturday and it starts Friday evening to Saturday evening. That's when it, it starts Friday and it ends on Saturday evening at six. So these guys were on that day and going through the grain fields. And uh, it says here on the Sabbath, the disciples began to make their way along while picking heads of grain. So they're taking grain while they're walking on the Sabbath day, which was unlawful. So verse 24, and the Pharisees were saying to him, see here, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And you always have religious people holding you to the letter of the law, but they don't know anything about the spirit of the law. They can tell you what the law says, but they don't know why it was intended. Think about that. Every law that has been stated has an intention by which it's been stated. 
So if you lose the meaning or the spirit of why the law was made in the first place, then you're just religious. You're just traditional. You're not thinking about the person in and of themselves. You're just thinking about the law and the letter itself. But there's a spirit of the letter. Even our constitution, there was a spirit of the letters and the things that were written. In other words, when the writers sat down and the formers and framers put that together, there was something intended for then and for the future. It's not just that these things are things that we read and we quote, but there is something meant by them. So here are the Pharisees getting on them about breaking the law on the Sabbath. And look at what Jesus says. And he says, and he said to them, have you ever read what David did when he was in need and became hungry? He and his companies. And obviously they hadn't thought about that because they'd lost the spirit of things. Verse 26, how he entered the house of God at the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread. Now, the consecrated bread was called show bread. It was the bread that only the priest could eat. Nobody was supposed to be touching it. It was sacred bread. And so David and his guys were hungry and they went in and they ate the consecrated bread because they were hungry. I want you to think about that. So they entered the house in the time of Abiathar, the high priest, and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone to eat except the priest. And he gave it also to those who were with him. And verse 27, I love this. And he was saying to them, Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Consequently, the son of man is even Lord of the Sabbath. <laughs> I like that, boy. He's Lord of the Sabbath. The son of man is Lord of the Sabbath. So you have these religious people sticking to the law, but not thinking about people. And if you're sticking to the law and you're not thinking about people for which the law was made, then you've lost touch with the community. Is that not what we have going on in our country today? We've got all these legislation and laws and things like that. And we the people for the people by the people. We ain't seen the people. And so you got to get back to what was intended. So here is Jesus reminding them of the spirit of the matter. And he said, I am Lord of the Sabbath. And guess what? They were with the Lord at Sabbath. So I think that they couldn't have been at any more rest than they could ever could. You know, if Sabbath is for rest, well, how could you not be rest with Jesus? They were with him. So they were at more rest than they could possibly ever be. And they were hungry. <laughs> and so they ate. Amen. God is not trying to restrict us from living our life. Those things were set up because of the order of things in the Old Testament. But now we got a New Testament getting ready to be instituted, but they didn't see it coming. John tried to warn them that Jesus was coming that was greater than me. They didn't catch it. He said, I'm going to decrease and he's going to increase. And when he gets here, you're to look to him. He is the Lamb of God. They had the opportunity to walk with Jesus. We don't have that. We have the opportunity to receive Christ in our person, but we did not have the opportunity to walk with them as they did. Let me read this, this one here in verse uh, one of chapter three. He says, right after all of that, he entered again uh, into the synagogue. He says, and a man was there with a what? A withered hand. Can you get an idea what a withered hand might be? It's a hand withered and just would not open up. And all the tenons and everything just caused it just to wither. It was a hand that could not be used, just withered. So he walks in, and this guy has this withered hand. And verse 2, and they were watching him, listen, to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath in order that they might accuse him. 
Now, they didn't have an issue with Jesus healing somebody, so they'd already gotten over the fact that he could heal people. But is he going to do it on the Sabbath? They just broke the law and ate bread on the Sabbath. They shouldn't have been doing that. And now here's a man with a withered hand, and he's hurting on the Sabbath. So are we supposed to wait to after the Sabbath to heal somebody hurting? So they're going to accuse Jesus. Now they're going to see if he's going to break the law himself because Jesus grew up in a synagogue. He was a good Jewish boy. He knew what the laws were. But what they didn't know, that Jesus was what the laws were written about. So here comes Jesus, and this man's confronted with his withered hand in front of him. And look at what Jesus did. In verse 3, And he said to the man with the withered hand, Rise and come forward. <laughs> right in front of their face. And he said to them, now he knew what they were thinking, so he brings this guy forward, and then, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? Save a life or kill? But they kept silent because he was setting them up. So it's a Sabbath day, so am I supposed to be good or evil? Am I going to save life or destroy life? What am I going to do? It's a Sabbath day. You people out here, you've been watching me. You watch my guys eat the showbread, and now a man's hurting. He's got a withered hand, and you're getting ready to try to accuse me of something. So I'm going to ask you a question. Is it lawful to help someone or to hurt someone on the Sabbath? Setting them up. I love Jesus. He's such a radical. That's my excuse. Verse 5. And after looking around. <laughs> of course he was. And after looking around at them with what? I thought Jesus never got angry. He was angry. That's what the Bible says. He was angry. We can't mistake that word for anything else. And then to add insult to injury, grieved at their hardness of heart. So what was he angry about? The hardness of their heart. So that tells me that God gets upset when there is hardness of heart and doubtful intentions on a situation when people don't trust God if you want to anger God have a hard heart see Pharaoh got in trouble because he had a hard heart the Bible says that God hardened his heart people say well why did God harden his heart I said because it could be hardened you know some people you can talk to you can't roll them no kind of way no matter what you say to them they're going to be sweet and nice and just like honey they're not going to get upset with you if you can be hardened you'll be hardened. And Pharaoh could be hardened, and that's why God hardened his heart and caused him to be jealous of what God was going to do for his people. And here it is that God is going to take the authority from a known king to an unknown God that he didn't know anything about. And this unseen, unknown God will have more authority over the people than he did. And so he got jealous and hardened. He's going to show this God, this I am, who he was, and he was not after a while. You got to be careful fighting God. See, when you're fighting man, sometimes you think you're fighting man, but you're fighting God. So they kept quiet in verse 5. And after looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, look at this now. He tells him, stretch out your hand. Now, the man had a withered hand. But Jesus said, stretch out your hand. So I could see him doing this. Because it's withered. Stretch out your hand. And he stretched out his hand. And his hand was what? Restored. Restored. So at the point, this man had to take a step of faith and trust Jesus. He probably hadn't stretched out his hand forever. Probably was painful. But at the command of Jesus, he said, stretch out your hand. He stretched out his hand and all the pain that it probably was in. And because he obeyed God, he found his hand opening up and being restored. 
sometimes you got to do what God says in the instant that he tells you. I firmly believe he wouldn't have stretched out his hand, his hand wouldn't have been healed. Jesus said, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and there it was, restored. Now you can imagine the people sitting around, the religious people of the day. Here's this man on the Sabbath day. Jesus is healing the man on the Sabbath day. And then in verse 6, it says, and the Pharisees went out immediately and began taking counsel with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Religious people always want to kill the spirit. They never want to kill the letter. They want to kill the spirit. They want to kill the spirit of what Jesus just did to incite them for being austere and hard and incompassionate on somebody, trying to make a man wait another day. If there's going to be any healing going on, it's not going to happen today. Today's the Sabbath day. Well, the Lord of the Sabbath has showed up. I think it was okay to heal somebody on his day. So they want to figure out a plan. Now they went from religion and trusting God to figure out a scheme of how they were going to kill Jesus, right? Now, remember I told you when you stay too long, you can get in trouble? Look at verse 7. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and also from Judea. So Jesus didn't stick around after he did that. He didn't stand around and say, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, I'm the Lord of you too, and I don't have to go anywhere. He healed that man and got out of town. Why? Because it was not his time yet. Do you know if Jesus was not being led by the Spirit, this is a far stretch, that if he were to stay and do his own thing, which was impossible because he didn't, that things could not have worked out well for us? But because he was led by the Spirit and he always did those things which are pleasing to the Father, he was led by the Spirit, he did those things until the time was appointed for him to not run anymore. You'll find many passages throughout the gospel where Jesus did something and he moved to the crowd and disappeared. Or he did something and he left in a very private way, he escaped. Many cases what Jesus did because it was not his time yet. So everything works according to the timing of God the Father. So Jesus leaves. And then in verse 8 it says, In Jerusalem and beyond the Jordan and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude heard of all that he was doing and came to him. So Jesus leaves. He goes to another place. The fame spread out. People heard about him. Verse 9 says, and he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready. So he's making an escape again. He says for him, he says, because of the multitude in order that they might not crowd him. So put him in a boat so he can have some space. He's on the shoreline. People are pressing him into the water. Jesus says, set a boat up for me. Let me get into the boat and I can speak from the boat. <laughs> well, I tell you, Jesus thinks of everything. He wants to minister to the people. He wants to make sure everybody gets their needs met. All right. Now look at verse 10. For he had healed how many? He just said many, right? Many doesn't imply all. When it says he heard many, some people were not healed because it implies that many people got healed, but it didn't say all of them. And there's a reason why everybody doesn't receive or everybody doesn't get healed. Many reasons. But one thing I'll tell you, it's not because God doesn't want to. Jesus was limited in his physical body. Just know that. He was limited in his physical body. He couldn't be everywhere in his physical body at the same time where God could be everywhere at the same time because he was omnipresent. But Jesus was not omnipresent. It was impossible for him to reach every single individual. And one of the reasons why he left the disciples here was to finish the work that he started. So we can go back and you see in instances as we read further in the gospel, a lot of the places where Jesus went, the disciples went back there and people were healed and set free even after Jesus died. 
And in a church, we're not going to be able to help everybody, but we'll help many. We can, it's impossible, physically impossible, for us to help everybody in this complex and everybody around this area. But we will help many. Amen? That's what he's implying here. So look at this now. For he healed many, in verse 10, with a result that all those who had afflictions pressed about him in order to touch him. They wanted to be touched by Jesus. In verse 11, and whenever the unclean spirits beheld him, listen, they would fall down before him and cry out saying, you are the son of God. Unclean spirits would do this. When's the last time an unclean spirit fell down before you? They fell down before Jesus because they recognized who he was. Now, it said the unclean spirits did this. Well, the unclean spirits had to do this in an unclean person. They couldn't just do it on their own. They didn't have a body unless they were in somebody. So it'd be like just people like yourself, if you were unclean and you were demonically possessed, which can happen to people, that when you saw Jesus, you fell down and the spirit would speak out, we know who you are. You're the son of God. Now, if the demons <laughs> can recognize Jesus, what's wrong with us? Yeah. <laughs> and look at verse 12. And he earnestly warned them not to make him known. Interesting that Jesus would tell them to shut up. Don't broadcast me right now. Because again, we see another instance where Jesus was not ready to be fully known. Because he was still completing the work and the plan that his father gave him. And sometimes we can run our mouths too much. We can get known too fast, become too popular, that what God really intended for us will never happen. I've often said I'm not looking for television prowess. I'm not looking to be known by anybody. I'm not looking for people to think our church is this or it's that because I know God's not done with us yet. If you prematurely do too much and get out there too fast, you can thwart what God is doing in your life and ministry. Because it's not to lift us up to be popular. It's to praise God and lift up Jesus. But Jesus, even in his own ministry, was not ready to be known by everybody at the time the people thought that they could tell him. All it did was cause chaos everywhere he went. In fact, it would cause so much chaos, by the time he got to the next city, they were waiting for him. And Jesus had a lot more work to do than just casting demons out and healing people. Even though that was a part of his ministry, he had a lot more work to do because his number one objective was to save souls, to bring the kingdom nigh unto the people, to form a relationship with God the Father through the Son with the people, that in the absence of Jesus after three and a half years of being in the ministry, that what will be left is that the Holy Spirit would draw people unto God the Father through Jesus the Son. That was his main priority. Healing and deliverance and casting out demons was a byproduct of the relationship that Jesus was trying to connect them with, with the Father. Amen? Amen. Stay with me until next time. We'll talk about it a little bit more next week. Amen. Amen. Amen.